This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a breaking news edition of What Most People Think. Now normally when I do these episodes it's because one big thing has broken since the main episode. I would say that everything broke this week. Politics broke it was all going on. It was sort of like they released all the big storylines in one go. Not just like Oppenheimer and Barbie in the same week, but also an Avengers film, a Star Wars film, fucking Blade Runner 3. It was all out there. Um, so I wanted to kind of literally almost go through the week to kind of make sense of it myself. And maybe together we just sort of use this as a way of remembering what the fuck happened. Because right from Rishi's handshake with Pierre to Labour's U-turn, Starmer had a tricky interview with Times Radio, Rishi's Commons jibe, the popcorns, if you missed all of it, we're just going to take five and go over all of it together and make sure we didn't uh, miss anything. Uh, new Patreon, we'd have one new Patreon since the main show, and that is Matt Smith. I think that that is the guy that was Doctor Who, so it's great to have you on, Doctor. I would like maybe to go back to last week, actually. You know, I don't know if you can use your fucking sonic screwdriver. <laughs> so it's called? I've never watched that show, you know. Sonic screwdriver does sound like, you know, you know, on the sex toys websites, you know, the really, the really funky end of dildos, the new Sonic screwdriver, it will transport you to another dimension. That'd be my sales pitch. Anyway, um, I'm going to keep the opening of today's show very brief because I just want to get as much into the politics as possible. But a quick thank you to the tour show. I did it last night, i.e. Thursday in Stroud. I've never really been at Stroud before. It's very it's sort of surprising place. It was sort of part hipsterish. But on the high street, they had like two or three greasy spoon calves next to each other on the high street. So I don't really know what's going on there. It's sort of like some weird culture clash. But I mean, look, I had an all day breakfast at 6pm, so I'm not complaining. It was incredible that people came out with the weather being as bad as it is. There's one thing as a touring comic where you just sort of go, well, I know how many tickets are sold. And you know, in that room, the, the floor was completely full. Will people show up? Because you sort of look at the weather you look at the fact it's cold, you know, it's early February. You just think, personally, the truth is, I would fuck it off in a heartbeat. And then I got there and there was loads of people. So I can only presume uh, that they've got nothing else going on. You know, maybe they've all retired, but they were a genuinely brilliant audience. And just to remind, obviously, the tour goes on. I've got said the last tour date in Leeds sold out. So I've got another one coming up in March, if you missed that. And the only London date of this leg of the tour is April, the end of April in Wimbledon, the glorious Wimbledon Theatre. A homecoming gig, a coming out gig, maybe, who knows. The fuck you is to, well, all this talk about suppressing emotions, you know, it's become standardised that, that it's bad to suppress emotions, right? You should not, you've got to let it all out let everything out and you go, or oh, maybe not. Because the problem is, 
is from what I can see is that everyone constantly excavating every last feeling that they've ever had or memory or thought about their parents. I would be in favour of all of it if, if the people who did that were getting happier, but it doesn't seem to be making them massively happier. I don't know. Will we hit a point in our society where we just go back? Maybe, maybe it's time to bring back denial. Bring it back. I'd be like Justin Timberlake bringing sexy back. I'm bringing denial back. I'm pretending that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm pushing it down to my feet again. Because look, the, the point is for men as well, suppressing emotions. I do wonder if it comes from our ancient hunter-gatherer past. I know it's all too easy to attribute male behaviour to that. But maybe it did, like, because if you were away, if you were on a hunting mission or exploring new frontiers, like a sort of prehistoric James T. Kirk, you know, like, you didn't want the other lads to think you was weak. So that maybe is where it's evolved from, you know? If you're just about to, like, fire, fire a fucking bow and arrow at <laughs> a bison, and then you're going, but I think it might be a mother. And all the other lads are going, what's that? Are you weak? You're like, no, 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 I'm just saying it. I think it might be a mother, and a motherfucker is what I mean. I can't wait to kill that bison. And that's the point, isn't it? You're sitting around, you're, you're miles away from home, you're around a campfire, everyone's a bit weird, you know. One of the lads in the group is constantly fucking sharpening his dagger, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and moan about the calluses on your feet? <laughs> Going, yeah, just, oh my God, all this dead skin. If we could just find a pumice stone. So yeah, let, let's accept that, you know, you shouldn't always suppress emotions, but that maybe in the sort of pie chart of being a human being, uh, it does have a place. Okay, right, let's crack in. Let, let's, let's dial the clock all the way back to Monday and Rishi Sunak's interview with Piers Morgan. Now, first things first, I, I don't know what the decision-making process is when you say yes to going on Piers Morgan, right? Because obviously, you know, he's a great broadcaster, it's a great show, but what's the likelihood of you coming out well from appearing on Piers Morgan? I mean, you know, what are his spads telling him? You know, the problem Rishi's got is people just don't see enough Rishi. Well, after this week, maybe we've seen too much, but... The problem with the show itself is that it tends to mainly be seen in, in small chunks, right, that are disseminated as viral clips. Now, from what we know of viral clips, you don't really see many clips going viral because the Prime Minister said something really great about free ports. That's rarely what makes a clip do the rounds, isn't it? It goes, well, oh, check this out, as Rishi Sunak absolutely schools Piers Morgan on VAT. It's never that, is it? It's a moment, it's a gotcha, it's a little tell. That's what they're looking for. And in this case, it was that um, Rishi Sunak was doubling down on his desire to get people to Rwanda, which is always a bit sort of sus anyway, because we know deep down he's a smart guy. The likelihood of it happening or having any meaningful impact on numbers is minimal. But, you know, he's put his weight behind it. So Piers Morgan is, is dubious about this. So eventually he says, do you want to bet on it, right? So now we're down to these these two acting like sort of 14-year-olds in the playground. Do you want to bet on it? Yeah. Do you want to bet on it? Yeah. And and you could see, it's really weird because if you actually watch the clip, Rishi seems cautious about it, which he should have been. He, if you listen to his voice, the audio, it doesn't seem like he actually said yes, but you watch it and his hand almost comes out automatically like that, the macho part of him that couldn't turn down a challenge. And I understand it's difficult. The moment that... The, Piers Morgan has something so base, right, as to bring it down to a handshake, is that what do you do? You can't, you just go, no, no. You go, well, you don't believe it then, because you're not going to bet on it. 
I suppose Piers Morgan could have said something to him like, what, are you man or mouse? That might have happened, you know, if he, if he really wanted to go to the core of his masculinity. But there was an option in this situation for Rishi Sunak was to just go, Piers, I'm the Prime Minister, OK? I think even you know that I I can't be just sitting here taking bets. <laughs> I just can't. I can tell you that's ex- exactly what I expect to happen, but I'm, I'm not going to bet on it. It was a weird moment. And I think the problem is, right, with lefties at the moment is the way that Labour are moving it. It's getting harder for them to make an argument that we need a Labour government because they're left wing, right? The argument is increasingly now we need a Labour government because we need to get the Tories out or the Tories are are evil, right? So I think people rightly said about this that it was tacky and it was crass and it was uh, another example of Rishi Sunak's lack of political judgment. But then there's always the extra bit that people put on that, the little bit of VAT they had where it's offensive to people on low incomes. I'm like, I don't know, man, I've been poor in my life. I don't know if I would sit there and I would go, oh my God, that thousand pounds, how far would that go in our household? What I'd probably think is, ah, they're rich blokes. This is what rich blokes do. You know, I would look more at why the hell is Rishi Sunak shaking hands on something like that with a broadcaster rather than, oh, right. So they've just got money to throw around. We know Rishi Sunak has money to throw around. We know Piers Morgan has, that's not fucking news. The news is that our Prime Minister can't seem to distinguish between a good idea and a bad idea in front of the cameras. And then there was another interview, which is a less high-profile one, but with um, Kate McCann, I think, who's a very good journalist. And she, you know, she sort of gets into Keir Starmer along the lines of what I was talking about with Andy Zaltzman in the main show. By the way, do listen to that. I mean, we do talk a bit of cricket, but the the vast majority of of the show is about what's happening politically. And she sort of holds him to account on this mudslinging that has been growing between him and Sunak, right? So she, in particular, pulls up. And I'm not saying that Sunak hasn't been doing it too. I mean, you could argue that it sort of started in earnest when Labour said that Rishi Sunak was sort of fine with nonces or something. Now, Starmer didn't say that directly himself, but he certainly didn't withdraw it or express regret about it, you know. So he's kind of responsible for his party's comms. And she pulled him up in particular on saying that Rishi Sunak had bet on the misery of millions of people during the financial crisis and that he was making videos for <laughs> Nigel Farage. I can't remember how he said it. He goes, well, 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 the Prime Minister is making videos for Nigel Farage. I mean, that conjured up a disgusting image anyway, just making videos. <laughs> just got an image of Rishi Sunak just sending Farage a video with him just like in his pants game. What you doing? I'm oh, sorry for sharing that image with you. Anyway, so look, he didn't bet on the misery of millions of working people and he didn't make a video of Nigel Farage. So, you know, lie is a strong word, but, well, Starmer is saying things that literally didn't happen. And then when pushed on it, he became quite shifty, actually. And I think, is this because he's doing something that's not natural to him, right? Like he's a QC, he was a QC. You know, it's about dealing in, in truth and facts. So he's basically work into a strategy that doesn't fit well with who he is as a person. So he got a bit shifty and he got a bit defensive with uh, the journalist. And then he said, if you listen, I worded that very carefully. Yeah, I bet you did because you knew it was bullshit. That's why you worded it carefully. That's like, (laughs) that's a sign of bullshit, isn't it? No, no, no. If you listen, right, if you get the old stenographer, uh, I didn't one million percent. Yeah, but you know what you were implying. And the funny thing is, is like, I sort of shared that. And then you get these Keir Starmer supporters who are so, I mean, look, they're so angry with the Tories. They're so desperate to have just a different government. And I understand those impulses. But what it does also mean is that they they sort of see, starting to increasingly see no limit 
in what is acceptable to sort of get the Tories out. You know, it's just, well, that's what they do. And you go, well, you know, if someone spits at you and you spit back at them, you're still a spitter, right? <laughs> that also sounded gross. But yeah, I mean, what is the limit with Keir Starmer, what he could do? And they would just defend it. Well, you know, look, fine, whatever gets the Tories out. Yes, maybe he did poison Jeremy Hunt with hemlock. But, you know, we've had 14 years of Tory rule. Okay, so what, what are we up to now? Tuesday? <laughs> Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. It's like a really weird version of the Craig David thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I fucked up on Piers Morgan on Monday. I was doing trans jabs on Wednesday. Um, so, okay, we've got to do this one a bit more seriously. So, PMQs on Wednesday. The mother of the murdered Brianna Jai. So, he mentions at the beginning that Brianna Jai's mother is in the public gallery and then Starmer and Sunak do their thing. And by their thing, I mean some of the worst PMQs I've ever seen. It's really weird at the moment. I don't think Starmer really goes anywhere with his line of questioning. I mean, it used to be with PMQs that there would be like a through line, you know, like that they would be trying to get somewhere. And I suppose in the clip age, that doesn't make as much sense. You're just looking for the most impactful minute. And the good thing for the leader of the opposition is that when the press put up the clips, like the good broadcasters know that they're obliged to show both what the leader of the opposition says and the prime minister's response. But the leader of the opposition always gets to go first, right? So it does seem increasingly that the Labour strategy now is that it just doesn't need to make any coherent sense. It's just say some shit. You know what I mean? Just, just fling some shit. See if you can piss him off. You know what I mean? Get a joke in there. It, it does not hang together. It's like those weird, like, two-minute pop songs now that they're creating in the hope that they'll be picked up um, by TikTok. In fairness, Rishi meets mediocrity with mediocrity by just instead of answering any of the questions. Oh, it would be nice just to see a prime minister go, OK, you've asked the question. Here's a detailed answer. Just to change up the vibe in the room. But Rishi rarely does that. Most of what he says is, is uh, look, I'm not taking lectures. <laughs> He's not taking any lectures, Rishi, from anyone about anything. Oh, this is the least lecturable guy in history. Uh, now, well, this is from the man who... And you're like, you know, this is your whole game at the moment, Rishi. I think that, that it could be an aspect of your response at PMQs. But, you know, it just doesn't need to be the whole fucking thing. And then, so he starts rattling off a list of Starmer's U-turns. I think at one point he got on a roll of saying things that began with P. And then he sort of was going through his sort of greatest hits about Keir Starmer. And then he goes, um, you know, up until very recently, he didn't even know what a woman was. Oh, he didn't 99.99% of the time. So this is a reference, obviously, to the fact that Keir Starmer, his original position um, was that, that he basically accepted the sort of uh, trans activist definition of a trans woman is a woman, right? And then Keir saw what happened to Nicola Sturgeon and he went, fuck that. I don't care what my beliefs are. I'm not, I'm not going out like Sturgeon. So he kind of changed it to, oh, if I just go 99.999% of the time, women don't have a penis, right? So like most things with Starmer, he is, he's just edged towards whatever gives him the best chance of winning a big majority. But the point was, and the context was, was that I know that Brianna Jai's mother was not actually in the public gallery at that time, but by all accounts, everyone thought that she was. And so Starmer was a bit shocked that Sunak had even mentioned anything to do with trans, right? Now, this is my reaction was, I had it just playing out on my phone while I was making my lunch. And I moment Sunak said that, I turned and looked at the phone was like, did he really just mention that today? Like that does, that seems like a weird shout, right? 
and Starmer gets up. Now, obviously, I've seen the clip since, and I'm more than happy to give Keir Starmer a bit of stick on this podcast, but I would say that initially his shocked reaction was completely legit. I do think he was genuinely taken by surprise that Sunak had once again with the fucking... His political antennae is like one of those indoor fucking TV aerials you had in the early 80s, you know. He, he seemed genuinely shocked and he spluttered something out and he went, in, in, all, in all the weeks. And then he, he tried to say something that didn't really make sense. He went, it's a man who says he's got integrity, but he's got zero responsibility. I thought, actually, you probably would be better off saying that the other round because he's definitely got responsibility. He's the fucking prime minister. Maybe say that he appears to have zero integrity. I don't know. But anyway, he was emotional, and I thought that was legitimate. The, qu- the thing that people have questioned about his response is whether or not mentioning the fact that Brianna Jai's mother was in there was prime ministerial. I'd probably come down, probably not. He didn't need to go that far. I mean, there was an option available to him, just in the same way that that Rishi could have said to uh, Piers Morgan, uh, I'm definitely not shaking your hand, dude. Starmer could have gone... Look, I'll just remind the Prime Minister. You know, he could he could have t- very much taken the, the high road, but he didn't. And then, in fairness, Starmer sort of seemed to gather himself and got back onto the usual sort of like scattergun questions that he asked. And then Rishi looked a little bit like a guy that's going, am I fucked up? So he had to, I mean, it was a lot of pressure, right, PMQs, where he has to continue to answer questions while thinking, is this going to be a shitstorm? And then it all it all breaks loose. Of course, on social media, this becomes a massive, massive thing, and it's all that people want to talk about. And of course, you know, personally, my take is I thought it was at best a fucking poor choice, and at worst, really crass. But I also understand the argument of people saying, "Oh, what? so you're saying it was crass, but only because there was a relative there." I get that moral discrepancy. I do. I mean, I think that Keir Starmer's flip flopping on issues and his sort of naked electioneering is a legitimate target. But God, you just got to. You just got to pick your moments, you know. And and so I think it was legitimate to ask, you know, what Sunak thought he was doing. But there's always the hyperbole, isn't there? There's always the extra bit of VAT on that reaction. You get to the point where Labour MPs are sort of saying that in this dark world tonight, I held my kids even closer. And you go, oh, come on. Like, why does it always have to be this with Labour politicians? I suppose, again, because... You know, as they edge closer to the Tories politically, they have to maybe cling even more to the idea that they're just nicer. But, you know, this was a week where where Rishi Sunak had had two moments where he just seemed to to really sort of not... I mean, I hate to use the phrase read the room because the room is all... If you're saying Twitter is the room, well, that's not the room in the country. If you're saying the Commons is the room, that's not the court of public opinion... I've got to say, you know, I was in a Weatherspoons this week. I don't think that Rishi Sunak's handshake or his trans jibe, as it's been called, were the two biggest things the public were concerned about. But, I mean, here's the thing. A a lot of political commentators quite casually said that Sunak had made a trans joke. I don't want to get... I mean, I'm a comedian. Apologies if I'm getting a bit technical here over something that maybe doesn't warrant it. But it wasn't a joke about trans people. The subject of the joke was rooted in the trans debate, but the object of it was Keir Starmer. But um, you know what they say. Dissecting a joke is like dissecting a frog, isn't it? When uh, We all know what happens to the frog. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. So the heat is on the Tories. And, you know, there's this old phrase, isn't there, in politics, never interrupt your enemy while they're busy defeating themselves. But Labour thought, no, they're not having all the attention. This seems like the perfect time to finally officially row back on our green tax, which is odd. I don't know if they thought a good day to bury bad news Well, it didn't go that well because uh, in the morning, I don't know if the BBC were being mischievous, they were saying Labour row back on 28 billion green pledge and then right underneath it, it says, world gets hotter by more than ever before. (laughs) You're like, oh shit, the World Health Organization just, or is it you? I don't know. Some some super national body had come out and said it's getting fucking hot. And so this has been this pledge that Labour made quite a while ago. But the difference between this, right, of all the other pledges that's, that Starmer's gone back on, is all those other ones, that was just made to win a leadership race, guys. God, chill out. You know, it's okay to lie or win elections. Obviously not if it's Brexit, but, you know, if it's someone that's nice, that's absolutely fine. But this was one that he made into power. Now, their argument uh, as to why this is legitimate is because it's not that they basically were idiotic enough to put a fucking massive number on it, right? Oh, no, it's not that. It's that the Tories, well, they crashed the economy. They crashed the economy. Now, I guess the point is, is that it's highly debatable whether what has happened in the economy in a historic sense counts as a crashing. I would have thought that a crashed economy involves a significant plunge in GDP, probably a big recession. You know, I mean, obviously, a lot of people have felt a lot of pain with mortgage rates going up. However, interest rates have gone up all around the Western world. Inflation, we have suffered in this country. It does seem worse than similar countries. So it definitely feels like the economy's fucked. But in a technical sense, they haven't crashed the economy. But maybe this is the area that Starmer's going to work in, in this slippery little Starmer area. Look, just they crashed the economy. And then the Tories have to go, yeah, well, we haven't crashed the economy. And what we everyone's hearing is the Tories crashed the economy repeatedly. So maybe it's just the dark arts. Maybe it's quite effective. I mean, it, what's interesting about this was the... I was kind of interested in this plan because the argument was is that one of Starmer's pledges is that, that Britain is going to be the fastest sustained growth in the G7. You go, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's just like, it's just like a football team going, right, our plan is to score more goals than the other lot. But anyway, good. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? I guess the only way you usually do that is by spending. So we're in debt. You're going to have to borrow to spend or you're going to have to uh, sort of lower taxes, really, to stimulate the economy. It's really, you've really got to do one of those things, right? But it does seem like Labour increasingly move in a position where they're saying they're not going to do either. They're not going to do either. And and I know they've got these other plans about, you know, great British power and all this sort of stuff. But for the public's point of view, it doesn't really going to, it's not going to affect them in the polls massively. But, you know, the, the idea that there's some hope that things will get better, does, you just sort of wonder where the fuck that hope is going to come from. And then 
you know, so they've had all their politicians out doing the rounds saying, you know, it's still, it's still a really good plan. It's still going to deliver. Well, it's, it's nearly the same. You go, well, then is, you, is your maths just shit? Because you're now, you've watered it down from, what, 28 billion to four and a bit billion. So you're now saying it's going to do a lot of the stuff that you said for 20. What 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 changed? Are you just, were your numbers economically illiterate? And it does come to a point, even if you are one of the big get the Tories out crowd, like you hate them, you just want to change the government. Labour do have to stand for something at some point. Now, I think that the next set of polling, I don't know. I mean, you might see a migration of Labour voters temporarily at the Greens for a while. You know, there's the Gaza thing. The Gaza, sorry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not the Gaza thing, the Gaza thing. Look, I, I get bet you any money, whatever people take away from this podcast, I bet the comments will be loads of people just posting fucking photos of Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> but yeah, it does chip away a bit and and and... Ultimately, you know, oh, maybe, maybe this is the play from Labour. Maybe this is it. They've got look. We don't have to pledge anything. The people, are, there's enough people that are furious with the Tories that we are going to be. We're, this is what they should do. We're going to be the first party in history. We're not even doing a manifesto. We're not going to do about it. Fuck it. Like a power play, just a dick swinging move. We're just Labour. That should be their manifesto. We're not them. Now, as if this wasn't a uh, fun, uh, packed week as it was, uh, refer back to the issue of um, not not interrupting your enemy when they're defeating themselves. Well, I mean, the Tories are still, they're still trying to defeat themselves pretty heavily, aren't they? I said to Andy Zaltzman that they should set themselves a little micro-target of can we go a week without sort of tearing each other apart? And they can't, they just can't. So this week we had the launch of popular conservatism or popcons for sure. And you think, is that... Did you really deliberately pick a name that sounds like popcorn? Because if you did it deliberately, that's shit. And if that was an accident and you didn't realise, that's also shit. I mean, it is so weird. Like, they've already got, we know, what is it? The five families of the Conservative Party. Families from the East. Families from the centre-right. You know, they've got this weird... So they're trying to cultivate this idea of them as a mafia family rather than a, a political party that seems to be breaking at the seams. And we've had national conservatism. I don't know what other kind of conservatism we've had, like drum and bass conservatism, <laughs> Afrobeat conservatism. And now we've got popcorns. And, and Liz Truss is, was a person at the heart of this. I would say this. The press are way more interested in Liz Truss than anybody else. When, it, like when she spoke at Conservative Party conference, there was a, um, you know, it was in a very small room. And they kept saying, well, there were people queuing round the block for Liz Truss. And they go, yeah, look, half of them were fucking journos because you loved the car crash. And, you know, whatever she does, people are fast because it is just weird. It is just genuinely weird. We had this prime minister who's prime minister, sort of what for what seemed like the length of a fucking fever dream. And so they're, they're, they're sort of still tr taking photos of the car crash. And she rocks up. I mean, literally the definition the dictionary definition of more front than Sainsbury's. And her argument, one of the arguments that struck out to me was that, you know, we have to be more aggressive about conservatism because when Tony Blair was in power, he sort of changed the institutions of state to be kind of intrinsically more left-wing. You go, okay, yeah, I think that's possible, probable even, if you look at the health service, the sort of senior police, the teaching profession. Yeah, maybe it did all get a lot more left-wing during that time and maybe it didn't ever go back. But here's the thing, Liz. That was a while ago now. I mean, the moment you go, it, I just thought, what is happening here? So Tony Blair, like, sorry, are you doing Tony Blair stuff? Because I don't think people are in a sort of Tony Blair headspace right now. 
trying to launch. I mean, she's also, guess what else she's trying to launch? A book. Surprise, surprise. Don't, don't you dare, don't you dare suggest that there's anything cynical about her launching a new political movement when she's got a book coming out, all right? Because it, well, it does seem cynical. It does seem expedient. And I do think with these strands of conservatism, it's, it's a bit like streaming services. There are too many now. Everyone goes, all right, you've got, you got the standard ones. You've got your Netflix, you've got the big three, right? Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. And what is that? Like the Eurosceptics, the One Nation Tories and the Old Fashioned Tories. And then you've got the Paramount Plus Tories, which are the National Conservatives. And then I don't know what popcorn is. Popcorn's like Britbox. You go, well, no one's fucking buying that. So, as much, yeah, as, en- as entertaining as it's been, it has made me think about the state of British politics at the moment. It was all too easy during Brexit to say how rancorous it was and with Corbyn and Johnson and divisive figures like that. I just think the abs- the actual standard of ideas and debate right now is is piss poor. And, and I haven't done this for a while, but let me have a go at trying to work out what most people think. I think what most people want right now is, is a government who just sort of get on with it for the time that they've got left and do the best job that they can, right? Try and avoid the mudslinging. They're probably going to lose. Just just leave the country in, in as... Uh, I mean, obviously, they've got to try and be re-elected, but Jesus Christ, don't get distracted. Just, just, just focus on... Don't sweat the small stuff. Focus on the big things that change people's lives, right? And then I'd like an opposition who also avoid the mudslinging, if possible, right? And who set out an argument for how they're going to make it better. Yeah, just how they're going to make it better. And a leader of the opposition who just seems to have one thing that he can go, yeah, that is his thing. That's his USP. That's what we're going to get from this guy. Because with Starmer, people might say, well, he's decent and honest. But the problem is, is he's now playing against that brand himself by getting involved in all the shit. I mean, what's that phrase? They go low, you go high. He's going, well, if they go low, I'll go low. If that, oh God, lower than a fucking snake's ass. And do you mean all the prime ministers? If you look, they all had one thing about them. He, like Blair, brilliant communicator, right? Cameron, at least he seemed prime ministerial. Even Jeremy Corbyn, you know, not a prime minister, although <laughs> he did seem to think that he won in twenty seventeen. But he stood for he stood for a set of political ideals that you could hang your hat on. And Boris Johnson, you know, connected with people, right? With a particular kind of person, he really connected like few other politicians could. So. I can't tell you what Keir Starmer's strong suit is, but here's the thing. I'm pretty certain he's going to be the next Prime Minister. So it'd be nice if maybe he could start to show us what that is and show some consistency. So we're all caught up there. I hope I hope that that was useful. I mean, I probably pissed off everybody there. I mean, is it? I am very much in a plague on all your houses type mood, you know, a none of the above type mood. So there's a chance that that's chiming with what you're thinking or that I've just made it literally everybody got angry about something there. So if you do want to come back to me, obviously, patrons, you got a hotline through to me. Uh, just join up through patreon.com. Or if you want to email what most people think UK uh, at gmail.com. And I check those uh, at least once a week. So uh, just remain. Oh, I think we've got we've got a couple of new reviews here. So, yeah, I bitched about it again. Thank you very much for taking pity on me. Um, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will read it out. So, this is from White Hoop. White Hoop. Um, a huge claim that this is what most people think, and yet I find that Jeff generally does articulate what I personally think, which I consider close enough. Yes, I mean, I just to be clear, I don't genuinely think that what I think is what every person in Britain thinks. It's more of a starting point for a debate. Like, do you agree? But anyway, some people do seem to take it literally. And this is from Sparky Cat. Sparky Cat. Don't get too excited. Uh, Jeff, I don't love you in that way. 
your podcast helps me on my walks. Keep up the good work. Well, you're the one that's brought romance into it. I think maybe, I think maybe, oh, yeah, well, you called the title of it, Love Me a Bit of Jeff. I think, I think maybe you do. I think maybe, you know, maybe you just Googled late at night, a few Merlots inside you. Jeff Norcott with his top off. Well, my advice is don't. Thank you.